Welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies and your host for the program. This is episode 46, being brought to you today by DraftKings. The second round is in full swing and the action increases from game to game. This is where the contenders are really separated from the pretenders. Now, to give you some skin in the game, DraftKings will be offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes. That is $10,000, up to $10,000 in total prizes, up for grabs each day. The very best part is that it is free to play. Free to play, and you could win up to $10,000. DraftKings free-to-play pools are really easy to enter. All you have to do is download the DraftKings app, go to Pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for your opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and then track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and they're reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. We'll talk a little bit more about the NBA playoffs, obviously, in a little bit. And, uh, uh, boy, a lot of drama unfolding on Wednesday, i.e. yesterday, uh, particularly with some coaching changes. And we will talk about that as well. Uh, hope you didn't uh, didn't fret too much that I was gone for an episode. Uh, it was time to get away, to relax, and to, uh, as Taylor Jenkins likes to say, refill the cup. So uh, went to the Pacific Northwest and uh, visited wine country. For those of you who are not familiar with my history, I was with the Portland Trailblazers for five seasons, four of which as their TV play-by-play voice. So I do have some familiarity with that area. Uh, I did make a trip to wine country uh, while I was there, but it was just a day trip. Uh, This was a much longer excursion. And uh, I've been to Napa. I've been to Sonoma. The Oregon wine country is an entirely different experience because it's not like Napa where there's, there's, there's like one major state highway that you can just drive up and down and there are a million wineries and you can stop in wherever you want and do your tastings and, and, and your purchases or, or whatever you want to do. The Oregon wine country is very different because there are so many wineries, but they're, they're spread out in, in a lot of areas. There, there are some... Uh, you know, state highways where there might be uh, several in a row. But if you want to go to the very best wineries, you have to go a little bit off the beaten path. And uh, you better have GPS. You better be a good driver. And uh, and don't be fearful of curves and uh, sharp winding roads because uh, you will encounter a lot of those if you go to the uh, Pacific Northwest wine country. Uh, but uh, great, to, uh, great to get back to Oregon. I had not been there for a while. And you know, when we go into cities to play a game, we do not get a chance really to see the city. Maybe you get a day off. Maybe you get a day off. But, you know, you might be uh, in, in need of rest, and, and there isn't time to go sightseeing uh, and, and to see what, uh, you know, is on offer for various cultural uh, attractions in, in a given city. Certainly, if you're going to 
Portland, you're probably not going to have a chance really to get into wine country if you, even if you just have a, a full day off. There's not enough time. So it's enjoyable to get back to some familiar territory, uh, drink some really good wine, and uh, just relax a little bit because this is going to be a very condensed offseason, as I think as everybody knows. The NBA Draft Combine is coming up, then the draft, then the Summer League in short order. The Summer League normally would be in, in early to mid-July. That's been pushed back into uh, early to mid-August. And then the training camps are going to open the last week of September, and uh, the opening night is pegged to be October 19th. So going to be a shorter offseason. Uh, it, it's it's going to be hard, and and that uh, you know this condensed season and the COVID nineteen piece of this condensed season, it's it's been proved to be problematic for a lot of people on a lot of levels, and we'll talk about NBA injuries in a little bit as well, because that certainly has had an impact on the playoffs, and uh, it, to some extent, will determine which team uh, ultimately lifts the Larry O'Brien Trophy. But just to get to last night's playoff games, Atlanta rallies from 26 down in Philadelphia. And Atlanta has now made a, a cottage industry out of coming back from large deficits. I mean, it, it's a great job by Nate McMillan to keep his guys believing. Atlanta, and I listened to this game. I was, I was driving back from, uh, from, from Chicago after flying in from, from Portland. I, I was driving back from Chicago and Listen to the game on Sirius XM Radio. Steve Holman had the call, the longtime radio voice of the Atlanta Hawks. And it was it was a constant uh, reminder in the first quarter. Hawks are getting good looks. They're just not making. And, and Philadelphia could not miss. I think they shot something like 80% in the first quarter. And certainly that was not a number that was going to stay there the entire night. Uh, you credit Atlanta for believing and for sticking with it. And, you know, they got some veteran guys. I mean, Lou Williams comes up huge in the fourth quarter. Gallinari, you know, has been in these situations before, and, and he has produced. And, of course, Trey Young has absolutely no fear of the big moment. So Atlanta now goes home with a chance to close out Philadelphia. Hawks now with a 3-2 lead after the victory uh, in Philadelphia last night. And, and if you're Philadelphia – you you got to make your free throws. And, I mean, Ben Simmons, my word, just not just not shooting free throws well at all. And those are the things that you have to do. I, I mean, winning playoff basketball games is about details. And one of the details is making an unguarded 15-foot shot. And uh, they were not able to do that. And even late in the game, uh, Embiid misses a couple. And uh, so, you know, credit to Atlanta. I mean, it's, it's a great story. They got off to uh, a mediocre start, but they were incredibly injured. Lloyd Pierce took the fall, and then they bring in Nate McMillan, who had been the lead assistant. And Nate McMillan, uh, you know, he's been around the block several times with multiple teams and has gotten this Atlanta team to believe in themselves on a consistent basis that no matter how big the deficit, no matter the venue they are playing in, that they have a chance to come back and win the basketball game. So great credit to them. I know that for people who are not Atlanta Hawk fans, they they may find Trey Young to be a, a little abrasive or uh, just not pleasant to watch because he, he flops a lot. He draws a lot of fouls. He, you know, if, if he's not on your team, you probably don't like him very much. But the fact of the matter is he plays with a confidence bordering on arrogance. He plays with a swagger that borders on arrogance. But you know what? The kid can back it up. 
And, uh, you know, it, it ain't bragging if you can do it. And certainly he has been able to do that. And he was monstrous again last night. Again, like I said, Gallinari and then Lou Williams, you know, multiple former six man of the year, comes in and, and does what he does. And Philadelphia's second unit certainly could not match uh, what he was doing. Then the Los Angeles Clippers go into Utah, and Utah still without Mike Conley, and that's that's very disappointing on a personal level for Mike because I know how hard he has worked to get to this point and try and get trying to get back to the Western Conference Finals for the second time in his career. You know, Utah starts off; they shoot great from three in the first half, and in the third quarter they go dry in the in the from three, and and that's where uh, the you know the Clippers start to get some footing and start to get back into this basketball game. Paul George had been the target of a lot of criticism for his relative lack of playoff success. Uh, that's part and parcel if. You know, you call yourself playoff P, uh, you better deliver in the clutch. And and I will give Paul George all the credit in the world. Without Kawhi Leonard, he understood the gravity of the situation, and he handled his business and then some. Got some great help from Reggie Jackson. And, oh, by the way, a nice line from my good buddy Ian Eagle who called uh, Reggie this Reggie Jackson Mr. June uh, because Reggie Jackson came up big. Made some incredible shots, and and he's another guy uh, like Trey Young that is unafraid of the big moment and does play with a confidence bordering on arrogance, and does play with a swagger, and uh, you know made big shots down the stretch. Donovan Mitchell made big shots down the stretch, but then there were some that were missed, and again a Utah Jazz team that relies very very heavily on the three. When the threes stopped falling, uh, then they had issues. But uh, tip of the cap to Paul George. And and this, you know, particularly if the Clippers end up winning the series and now they have a chance to go back home and, and to close out Utah. If the Clippers end up winning this series and the injury to, to Kawhi Leonard will keep him out for the rest of the playoffs. And if Paul George and the Clippers win this series over Utah, almost regardless of what happens in the Western Conference Finals, I mean, this is a defining performance or at least an argument for Paul George and his supporters to say, look, I can deliver in the clutch. I can deliver in the postseason. And so Clippers now up 3-2 over the Utah Jazz, heading into a game six back at Staples Center. So let's talk a little bit about these injuries. Uh, LeBron James, of course, has come out and said, well, you know, we all knew this was going to happen. There was a condensed season, so of course there are more injuries. Um I don't know unless you do a incredibly deep dive scientifically uh, into the condensed season to see do you have cause and effect or is it simply something that happened. I will just say this. Kawhi Leonard might have been the most load-managed player in the NBA last year. And he has an ACL injury. Was that because of insufficient rest? Well, I don't know. They seem to rest him every opportunity that they could, and that's not a criticism of the Los Angeles Clippers. They're trying to protect their asset. I get that. Uh, yes, it was a condensed schedule. But you know what? You didn't see the Grizzlies coming up with uh, a lot of hamstring pulls, uh, and thankfully, um, you know, not coming up with, with significant knee injuries late in the season, and they played a more condensed schedule than anybody other than San Antonio. Sometimes injuries happen. 
if you are going to play the game, injuries are going to happen. And I understand that now LeBron James is – look, I have great respect for LeBron James, but Players Association voted for the play-in tournament. Uh, the Lakers all of a sudden find themselves in the play-in tournament, and LeBron James says, you know, whoever thought of that should be fired. Uh, you know, LeBron James and the Players Association voted to play a 72-game season in the time frame allotted. Okay. Now when there are injuries and now when you're out of the playoffs in the first round, all of a sudden now it's a problem. Um, are there more injuries? Yes. Uh, is it due to the condensed schedule? You can say that it is, but I don't know that anybody can prove conclusively that that is essentially the case. Mike Conley has had hamstring issues throughout his career, particularly the latter part of his career. So was that due to the condensed schedule? I don't know. Um, you know, Utah locked up the number one seed. They had an opportunity. They waited a week before they were able to, to play in the playoffs because they had to wait out the play-in tournament and, and, and the winner of, of the eighth seed. So I'm not totally sold that the condensed season is the reason for all these injuries. Could be, maybe, maybe not. Um, I think John Hollinger of The Athletic made a really good point. He said, you know, the NBA is going to respond to this probably as softly as possible simply because you don't want to raise, uh, you know, you don't want to raise the temperature on this issue, particularly with LeBron James and the fact that LeBron James sent tweets out on a day when we had multiple coaching changes probably was, uh, was the best thing for the NBA because now they really don't have to deal with it so much. It's just LeBron being LeBron, which is basically – if I'm in a situation I don't like, I'm going to complain about it, and it's the league's fault. It's uh, it's certainly not my fault. Um, that's just the way LeBron rolls. I get it. I hear you. I hear you, LeBron. As I said, there were uh, several coaching changes announced on Wednesday. We'll get to those in a moment. But first of all, I want to tell you that the Grizz Weekly Grind is being brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Uh, we got some stuff here. We got all kinds. We got we got leagues. We got uh, camps. So uh, we will tell you that the Hoop City Basketball Club Summer League, uh, kindergarten through eighth grades, uh, it is currently underway. It'll run through June 29th. The, the registration still runs to the 21st. You got a few more days to get in on this. Uh, the listing is for, I'm sorry, first through eighth grades uh, based on current grade for the 2021 school year. They'll play on eight and a half foot goals if you're in first and second grade. A couple of practices, one game per week minimum. Uh, six games total will be played. It's in the Jack Jones League. Uh, if you have questions or you need information to get your young person involved in Hoop City Basketball, club uh, and their summer league called Buffy Kersey. You can reach her at 901-604-4385 or at hoopcitybc at gmail.com. Also, they're running some camps, a couple of camps, Desmond Bain shooting camps. There will be two of these uh, June 21st to the 24th and then July 26th through the 29th. Uh, so for all the exact information, you go to uh, hoopcitybc.com. You can get some information there. Um, as far as the uh, Desmond Bain shooting camps, questions about that, uh, get in touch with Scott Robinson. 
Scott Robinson can be reached at 317-490-5948 or at hoopcitycamps at yahoo.com. The Desmond Bain shooting camps include a couple of Grizzlies game tickets, 28 hours of expert instruction with drills, skill development, contests, and games. You also get a camp T-shirt, certificate of achievement at the end of camp awards ceremony, and more benefits to that. And you get to meet Desmond Bain, which is really, really cool because Desmond Bain is a very impressive young man. Grizzlies very lucky to have him not simply uh, as a basketball player, but as a person as well. So check out Hoop City Basketball Club. Got a lot of stuff going on. HoopCityBC.com. It's on our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. Uh, Meanwhile, a couple of coaching changes were announced yesterday. Uh, Like I said, I had a long drive from uh, from, uh, O'Hare to to Memphis and... uh, Boy, I uh, listened to Sirius XM radio yesterday, and the hits just kept on coming. Um, first of all, I think everybody knows about uh, you know Indiana and Nate Bjorkren. Not sure what Kevin Pritchard was thinking, uh, getting rid of Nate McMillan, and then you bring in Nate Bjorkren, and now the, the in, intel out of Indianapolis is that he lost the locker room very, very shortly, and he lost it very completely, so they're going to look for a more veteran head coach to lead the Indiana Pacers. Six jobs are open. Of course, the uh, uh, Orlando job is also open. Uh, The Portland job is also open. The Boston job is also open. And then a couple of openings coming up yesterday. Washington Wizards decide to part ways with Scott Brooks. And interesting, just kind of the way this all went down. Number one, Scott Brooks was in the final contract, final year of his contract. And If you are a head coach in the NBA and you are coaching your final year of the contract and you are not getting extended uh, and you are not able to get an extension done before the contract is fulfilled, it pretty much tells you you're not coming back. So I wonder if Tommy Shepard, who runs basketball operations for the Wizards, if, if they had basically made a decision on Scott Brooks and nothing was ever going to to be worked out. There was a report that negotiations broke down. I don't know if that's code for we just decided to get rid of the guy or if it or or if there were negotiations that ultimately broke down here's the thing with scott brooks did a good job with this washington team which was basically beal and westbrook and a lot of spare parts got them into the play-in got them into the nba playoffs as an eighth seed to take on the Philadelphia 76ers. And, of course, Sixers uh, knocked them out of the playoffs. No surprise there. The fact that Scott Brooks got them into the playoffs. And, yeah, I I get the individual brilliance that we saw from Russell Westbrook and from Bradley Beal. But still to get that club into the playoffs, despite the fact that they play virtually no defense, was, was remarkable. So, you know, I don't know if... You look at the Wizards season and say it was a great season because you won the play-in tournament and you were able to get into the playoffs. Is that a Scott Brooks factor? Is that a Russell Westbrook factor? Is this a Bradley Beal factor? Some combination. Who gets credit? Uh, who gets blame? Uh, ultimately, this is a Wizards team that I, they say they want to build around Bradley Beal, and, and I get that. He is he's a generational talent. Now, do you keep Westbrook? That becomes a big piece of this. And the question may well have been raised if there were conversations, and certainly there there would have been, I would assume, between Tommy Shepard and Scott Brooks about the direction of the organization. 
Are you going to continue to build around Beal and Westbrook and put in ancillary pieces and try to improve the team, particularly on the defensive end, where where they were were just not very good? Or are you going to say, we're going to strip this thing down to the studs and we're going to start over? Does Scott Brooks want to be part of every rebuild? Does he want any part of that? Uh, you know, so there are a lot of questions, more questions than answers about this. But as I said, anytime you have a head coach in the NBA and they're coaching their last year, basically a lame duck year, and you do not get extended before the, the contract essentially terminates, chances are you're not coming back. And, and maybe that was something that Washington had in mind, that they weren't going to bring back Scott Brooks at any price, under any circumstances, and then they end up making the playoffs. And so then it becomes, at least to the public eye, rather odd that Scott Brooks is let go. Hey, we, we, we won the play-in tournament. We ended up in the playoffs. How in the world do you not bring Scott Brooks back? I think Scott Brooks is a, is a, is a good coach. Is he a great coach? I wouldn't elevate him to great, but he's been good. Uh, he certainly had amazing talent with Oklahoma City, has had some fair to good talent, again, with a couple of general, generational players this year in, in, in Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook. So uh, good coach, yes. Great coach, not sure. Good communicator, yes. Russell Westbrook just loves Scott Brooks. And so now this becomes another element of this whole deal you know do you keep Westbrook and how happy are you going to try to keep Westbrook because you just dismissed one of his best friends in Scott Brooks that's going to be very intriguing to see how Washington goes with this are they going to go for a rebuild around Beal Westbrook is maybe maybe not or you know would they consider moving all their assets and just just starting from scratch and maybe hiring a young, hot assistant that they could get for a lot less money. I'm assuming Scott Brooks, you know, coaching salaries are not uh, widely disseminated, but I would imagine Scott Brooks with his track record, probably making four or five million a year, you can get a young assistant coach for about a million, million and a half a year. Is that what Washington is looking at? I mean, all these clubs, look, everybody in the NBA took a hit on revenue. So maybe that is reflected in, in what you are willing to pay a head coach, particularly if Scott Brooks doesn't want to go through a rebuild. And if rebuilding is what you are looking at in Washington, I, I get this decision. Uh, I don't know that this was by mutual agreement. I don't know if Scott Brooks wanted to be back. Uh, did they have a disagreement on where the franchise was going to go? Don't know. But the uh, parting by uh, mutual agreement now has become – the coin of the realm, or at least the the phrase that pays right now in coaching circles. And that was what was described, the situation uh, in New Orleans with Stan Van Gundy. Stan Van Gundy, no longer the coach of the New Orleans Pelicans after one year. Um, curious decision in some sense. Pelicans finished 10 games below 500 with a roster that is far better than a 10 games below 500 talent level uh there's no way they should have been that bad there's no way that they should have been as bad defensively as they were now they got better defensively as the season wore on but their offensive efficiency started to drop off uh this was a new orleans team that uh had i think the biggest negative differential in three-pointers made per game couldn't guard the three-point line didn't make a whole lot of three-point shots themselves 
And I, I thought it was interesting because, again, like I said, long drive between uh, Chicago uh, and Memphis, about nine hours. Uh, so I got a lot of time to listen to uh, the radio talk show hosts. And, and Antonio Daniels was on Sirius XM Radio yesterday. And, of course, Antonio uh, has been the and continues to be the color analyst for the Pelicans television broadcasts. And he said, look, I'm going to I'm going to couch all this with the caveat that I wasn't around the team because of COVID-19. I called the games, but we weren't at practice. We weren't we weren't at training camp. But what he was saying, reading between the lines, is that there was a certain lack of communication. Things were not well handled, let's say. Uh, and, and maybe it's Stan Van Gundy coming back to the new NBA, which is maybe different than when he coached in Miami, although he was in Detroit just a couple of years ago. So you know, that was kind of the undercurrent of the comments from Antonio Daniels is that maybe the communication level wasn't there, that maybe the NBA game, pace, space, youth, had passed Stan Van Gundy by. Interesting reading the reporting, though, coming out of New Orleans. You know, David Griffin extended Alvin Gentry, then got rid of Alvin Gentry, uh, brought in Stan Van Gundy, which seemed to be a, a good hire. I, I, I thought it was a good hire. I mean, Stan had a nice little run with Turner, uh, Turner Broadcasting as a color analyst. They hired him. I thought, look, they're going to get better defensively. They really did get better defensively. Did a little in, in the second half of the season, but by and large, weren't very good defensively. And I know Brevin and I would talk to each other and say, I can't believe that this New Orleans team is this bad. This this New Orleans team should be at least in the play-in tournament, and yet they were not. Uh, you, you know, you look at Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, and this is this is a roster that certainly should have produced more than 31 wins this season, and yet they did not. thought it was interesting, as I said, the reporting coming out of New Orleans was that it seemed that there was a – a disagreement on how this organization, how this team should move forward. You know, I'm, I'm perplexed. I'll be totally honest with you. I'm really perplexed at how, how some of these coaching interviews must go because we're finding like, well, in Indiana, in Indiana, well, you know, Nate Bjorkman didn't have a good rapport with players. This didn't somehow come up in your vetting process. This did not come up somewhere in your due diligence. Was this just like a new development? Um, and with Stan Van Gundy and David Griffin, like, well, you're disagreeing on the direction of the team after one year? How, how far did your philosophies diverge from when you started the season? Did, it, did things really, really change that much, or did you – did you really talk about this? Were you honest with each other when the interview process was going on nine months ago? That's the thing that I don't get. Um, franchises in sports, businesses in, in the business world, you are going to be at your most successful if you understand who you are, what your talent level is, what your talent can do for you to make you a better business or make you a better basketball team? Do you understand your identity? Do you have a direction in which you want to go? Can you define that direction? If you cannot define that direction, if your leadership does not agree on the direction, you're sunk, number one. Number two, if you do agree 
on the direction. Can you sell your people on it and get them to follow through? That to me is the biggest thing. It's said in the Bible, where there's no vision, the people perish. I get that. It's not just having the vision and being unified in the vision. You have to be able to communicate it to the people that are going to carry it out. That's why this is a huge hire for David Griffin. He has got to get this right. Zion Williamson can be a generational superstar. He has that ability. He's put up big numbers, but his team has lost each of the last two years. Understanding last year he was injured. But this year, again, putting up great numbers. Kid's a phenomenal talent. Wonderful basketball talent. Well, what are you going to do with him? And for me... If I am David Griffin, and he's not asked me for advice, never will, but I'm going to give it to him anyway. If Zion Williamson is your future, and by all stretch of the imagination, he's got to be your future. You have got to find yourself a coach that can communicate with him and a coach that Zion Williamson has a relationship with that Zion Williamson would say, I am willing to be coached by this person. Why was Tim Duncan so good? Obviously, phenomenal talent, great work ethic. Here's the big piece that a lot of people don't remember. Tim Duncan wanted to be coached by Greg Popovich. He wanted Popovich to be very, very difficult to work with. He wanted Popovich to be demanding of him to bring the best out of him. That's how this is going to have to work. If you are New Orleans, you have cast your lot with Zion Williamson. Totally get it. So he's the centerpiece of your franchise. The coach that you hire has to be somebody that Zion Williamson will look at and say, I want this person to coach me. I want this person to be demanding of me. I want this coach to take me to the next level. That is going to be the most important thing if you are the New Orleans Pelicans moving forward. As far as other coaching hires, I think what we're hearing now, particularly, you know, the kind of the subcontext of what was going on in New Orleans and maybe Stan Van Gundy, the game has passed him by, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera is that you have to be a really good communicator. That, to me, is, is the most important thing in today's NBA. The my way or the highway type coach is, is, is not going to get anywhere. You have to be a great, great communicator. You have to have, as I said, you have to have your vision. You have to have unity on that vision with your front office and your ownership. And then you have to be able to communicate that vision and get your players to execute that vision. But if you can't communicate it, forget it. And one of the things, and I'm, I'm going to wrap with this, one of the greatest strengths that the Memphis Grizzlies have right now is Taylor Jenkins. Obviously, they've, they've got John Morant, they have Jaron Jackson Jr., they have some talented young players that I think the future is very, very bright for this franchise. But I think the biggest asset they have is Taylor Jenkins, and, and here's why. Because in today's NBA, You do need a coach that can communicate, that can reach his players. One of the brilliant things that Taylor Jenkins has done is that he has established a culture with this basketball team that 
as your head coach, I care about you as a person in addition to what you can do on the court. Subsequent to that, you have had buy-in from these players, and you will hear it in their interviews where they are repeating a lot of the same phrases that Taylor Jenkins uses with the media, presumably in the locker room. There's a consistency of message, his ability to communicate, his ability to show people that he really and truly cares, really and truly is invested in the success of the franchise, really and truly is invested in everybody means a lot to this basketball team. And I'll give you a small example. Our TV producer, Scott Zachary, who has been doing NBA basketball for three decades, most in Portland and the last few years here in Memphis, um, reached out to Taylor and and wrote Taylor of of probably about a three-paragraph email uh, just thanking him for his cooperation because – Trust me, I've been around head coaches. They don't want to do media. They, they don't want to talk to us. They would much rather be you know, watching video, writing scouting reports. Taylor Jenkins has been great with us. Um, he has embraced us despite the fact that we're not basketball operations. We're, we're team broadcast. But he's embraced us. And, and, and Scott you know, said, hey, this has been a really, really rough year. We've gone through a lot. Uh, you know, We lost Michael Edwards, a.k.a. Speedy. Uh, we lost Brett Smith from our technical staff. Obviously, we were doing the games from distance. We were doing interviews on Zoom rather than in person, and and, and just you know, and we all do this. I mean, I, I texted Taylor after the season and I thanked him for everything, and I got a text right back. So Scott writes him like a, a three paragraph email, just very very eloquently writing out, "Hey, thank you for." Everything that you've done for us, we appreciate the great relationship we have with the coaching staff. We appreciate the fact that you wore the Roadrunner pin in honor of Speedy all season long. And normally, you send a note like that to to an NBA head coach because they are very busy. And you might get a two-line, hey, thanks, appreciate you. Uh, Taylor Jenkins sent sent back a three- or four-paragraph email himself just touching on everything that Scott had said. And hey, I agree with you. This has really, really been a rough year. Um, hey, I, I, I love working with Pete with the pregame interview. I love working with Eric Hasseltine on the radio pregame interview. Really appreciate your passion. Really appreciate your professionalism. This is not something that Taylor Jenkins had to do. All he had to do was say, hey, Scott, thanks for the note. Appreciate it. And could have left it at that. That's not who Taylor Jenkins is. And that's why this basketball team has a chance with Taylor Jenkins as the head coach. Not simply because he responds to everybody's emails, but because he embraces everybody who is involved in the process, makes them feel important, makes them feel like they have a role. And if he's going to do that with our team broadcasters, he's certainly going to do that with his players. And so give him the talent level, give him the opportunity. And it'll be very intriguing to see now in year three, where he will have the ability to have young guys go to summer league, where he will have an opportunity for only really the second time in his career to have a full training camp and see what he can do with his basketball team. Uh, the Grizzlies are in a very good position that they're not having to look for a coach. There are six franchises that are having to look for a coach, and that's not an easy position to be in. I will say this uh, one last thing on the coaching search, I promise, and then we'll wrap up uh, today's edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind. I think we're going to have our first female head coach this year. 
Don't know if it's going to be Teresa Weatherspoon or Kara Lawson uh, or Becky Hammond. I, I think with six openings available, I think at least six at the moment, I think that you are going to have one of those three women. Maybe there's another candidate out there that I, I, I haven't thought about or hasn't been brought to mind. One of them will be a head coach in the NBA, and I think it is going to be for the 21-22 NBA season. So there you go. Lots of coaching news. Like somebody said on Twitter yesterday, nobody does crazy offseason like uh, the NBA. So uh, that is a wrap for today's edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. We'll be back with you early next week for more stuff on the NBA playoffs and the Memphis Grizzlies right here on the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pratica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.